We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a Week 10 edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. The Steven Garcia of college football podcast. John, I feel like that one fits a little bit more than some of the other names that I've thrown out. Like you and I, I think collectively really embody a lot of, of what Steven Garcia was all about at South Carolina. Yeah. Steven Garcia was like a, a living legend. Like he, he's someone who I feel like blue mountain state probably like drew on his source material. Like that guy, <laughs> like he, he's someone who you, you get to the, the, you know, mountaintop of the college football level i think that they might have like won the sec east while he was there but i think so that that dude was was about like the 80s quarterback lifestyle like he he wasn't first first guy in the facility last guy out like he was he was, he was first last, guy last out guy in, first guy out yep first guy out and uh hitting up five points in columbia oh, yeah. so yeah major respect to steven garcia i wonder how he's doing I, you know, I wonder, I, he's kind of another one of these names that I'm like, could we, could we realistically get him on the pod? Like it probably wouldn't take that much effort. He's probably one phone call or text away. Um, so eventually we'll, we'll have to look into that. Um, I'm fresh off a dentist appointment coming straight from the dentist's office, right. To do this pod. My teeth feel great. My mouth feels great. I'm all loosened up, uh, grabbed a coffee immediately after the dentist appointment, which I don't mm-hmm. think you're supposed to do. Might've canceled it out. Uh, but I'm ready to rock, man. Um, I'm back in the Rotowire office for the first time in a while. Um, so if you're noticing a, a you know tangible jump in sound quality, uh, that would be why. But we have a lot to get to um, looking at uh, what, what happened across the country in a very busy week nine in college football. I would say this is probably one of the, the top three weeks of the season uh, in terms of you know big games across the country. Uh, a lot of moving and shaking when you talk about the, the first release of the college football playoff rankings, which came out earlier this week. We'll touch on those. Um, but we should recap some of the big games. Uh, then we'll talk a little DFS for week 10. We'll kind of use that as a vehicle to preview uh, what's somewhat of a down week this week, at least relative to week nine. Uh, and then we'll hit a few kind of grab bag topics at the end. But Jonathan, where do you want to start? I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we did not start with the still unanimously top ranked Georgia Bulldogs. 
Yeah, I mean, that, you know me, like that. My my feelings on Florida are well known, so that that game is always um, the the one that I look forward to the most every single regular season. And you know that this was a game that starts out, and, and as the day progressed, you know, I'm sort of I'm watching Michigan, Michigan State, um, you know, while while working, do, doing whatever on on Saturday, but I'm like consuming all of that just to kind of like keep my nerves at bay because. I thought that Florida, the the Anthony Richardson unveiling, plus the fact that, that Georgia had kind of made it clear throughout the later part of the week that it was going to be Stetson Bennett at quarterback. I was like, oh boy, like that there's I still think Georgia wins, but this this could be uncomfortable. And for the first 28 or so minutes, it was, but then Stetson Bennett throws the the well-placed, you know, what what ended up being a coffin corner arm punt. Um, to, to get Florida pinned back against their own goal line and stuff just started to unravel from there. You saw Nolan Smith just pull the ball out of Anthony Richards' hands, Anthony Richardson's hands, kind of a, 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 a an homage to what Caleb Williams did to his own teammate the, the week prior. Um, and things just started to unravel for, for Florida from there. So um, in just a, a two-minute game span that, you know, in real time was about 20 minutes, the game went from being close to being like very very much decidedly over and and you know Georgia just kind of kept its foot on the gas especially defensively in the second half and, and was able to pull away to it to a comfortable lead and really the only drama in the second half it was whether Florida was going to uh, keep their um, score, scoring streak alive or, mm-hmm. or you know avoiding being shut out streak alive and they, they were able to do that but yeah Florida now I mean Dan Mullen puts his foot in his mouth on, on Monday uh, just saying that we don't talk about recruiting and, you know, that, that's just not something that you want. And then it just stands in such stark contrast to that being like pretty much the first thing that Kirby Smart wants to talk about it at any given time. And, and you look at the at the Twitter discourse on, on Saturday and, you know, everyone pointing out how many five stars Georgia has in, in comparison to, to Florida and all this and that. And, and then for Mullen to to make those comments, it kind of made a, a bad loss. Um, that much worse. So that that prompted me to tweet out on Monday, like this is precisely the type of Monday where I will just turn on Paul Feinbaum and just bask. And, and there I did. Uh, I I don't get a lot of those days, I would say, as a Jaguars fan um, or or a Wisconsin fan. Those those don't happen too often. But there's nothing better than like when your team has a great week or when your team is, you know, eight. No, like the Bulldogs just rolling over everybody. And, you know, you really don't ever have to hear criticism about your team. And like even when it's warranted, it's no fun. Um, like I'm, I'm kind of a part-time Packers fan. These last two days have not been fun. You know, every, no. everything is just like negatively, uh, you know, people are just hurling negative insults at your team. Nobody wants to listen to that. It's hard to get up for a podcast or get up, uh, you know, to watch a TV show when you know, it's going to go against what you want to hear. Uh, but I'm glad you've had the opposite experience. I, I was kind of checking in on this game throughout the afternoon. And I, I think you had, you had a pair of tweets in the middle of the afternoon that pretty much summed up the entire game. So at 3.09 PM central time, you tweeted, this is ungood so far. Uh, I believe that was around the time that Georgia was struggling to move the ball. It was 0-0 uh, through the first quarter, like you mentioned. And exactly one hour later at 4.09 p.m. Central, you tweeted a gif of a, looks like a pneumatic press crushing a Furby. <laughs> yes, because that, that's, that's, uh, okay. <laughs> that, that is exactly what that was. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, but both of those things were, were little capsules in time that, that summed up how I felt about what how the game was going. And, and yeah, all it took was an hour 
But uh, yeah, Georgia just turned into a hydraulic press uh, in, in that time. They went yep. from ungood to hydraulic press in just 60 minutes. Pretty good. Yeah, and in, in that analogy, of course, uh, the Florida Bulldogs were the Furby uh, that was getting crushed by the you know proverbial dogs defense. Sure uh, Cincinnati, not not exactly rolling over Tulane, thirty-one to twelve, uh, convincing nonetheless. Uh, Cincinnati, of course, comes in at number six in the playoff rankings. I think you know that's gotten plenty of run over these last couple of days uh, since those were released. But ultimately, to me, not all that surprising that they put Cincinnati there. I think the main thing is if you put Cincinnati in the top four it becomes a bigger deal if they inevitably fall out. Like now I, I think you're still setting it up where like, you know, they can kind of earn their way up there or other teams ahead of them can tumble. Um, I, I think putting them in that top four right away would have been setting the committee up for you know, kind of some more, like even more controversial situations as the weeks go on. I I, I actually tend to, to disagree a little bit because the, these first set of rankings in particular, the first couple that, that we get in November you know, they, they in the end, they don't really mean all that much to, to the very end of the season rankings. So I, I felt like the committee could have almost bought a little bit of public favor by by saying, oh, yeah, we, we had them in the top four. Like we, we gave them that respect. And, you know, our hands are tied when Oklahoma is undefeated. Like we have to give them a playoff spot over an undefeated Cincinnati, that that type of thing. Um so that you know they're behind a couple or like three one-loss teams, I guess, um, with, with Bama being number two, of course, mm-hmm. um, and, and then Ohio State and Oregon checking in ahead of Cincinnati as well. And I, I think that the big thing about like the the option A that you presented, where it's like, okay, Cincinnati like has its work cut out for it. They unfortunately just don't really have the schedule that allows them to do much to impress. I, I don't think the rest of the way right. like that. Like you said, they took care of business against Tulane on, on Saturday, but Tulane was missing their starting quarterback. I think they were missing their backup quarterback as well, so they were down to their third guy. I know a receiver had to check in as the backup quarterback for that one. So I, I just feel like Cincinnati doesn't have the runway to to make that impressive uh, group of statements with with, uh, with big wins, and it, it does kind of run counter – to, to what I was thinking as the rankings were being unve- unveiled when they had Notre Dame at 10. And I was like, okay, that, that means that Cincinnati has a top 10 win. Like that's going to yep. be one of the more impressive ones of any team that's ranked ahead of Notre Dame at this point. But, but even still it, it wasn't quite enough. So I just don't believe at this stage, like I think the stage is kind of set for Cincinnati to just, just be kind of locked into that next two out. Yeah. It, it's a tough situation to be in because the committee has essentially said you, you have no way to control your own destiny here. And ultimately that was kind of always going to be the case for Cincinnati. You know, they were going to need some help as any group of five team would uh, to climb into that top four. But I I think that point was really hammered home, you know, coming in at number six here, Uh, Ohio state, Penn state on Saturday, this was a, I think a closer game than most anticipated. I I thought Penn state got a pretty good game here from Sean Clifford going over 350 yards in this one. At the end of the day though, like Penn state cannot run the ball at all. I mean, 29 carries for 33 yards in this one. Uh, another you know rough day for Lovett and, and Noah Kane, who just really has not been able to get anything going for the most part this season. But Penn State able to move the ball through the air. This was a three-point game going into the fourth quarter. And, and Ohio State, you know, only winning this game by nine at home. Not that Penn State's not a formidable opponent. You know, all their losses at this point um, you know, are, are, are somewhat quality, uh, depending on how you view that, that nine-overtime Illinois loss. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But 
I, I think I, you know, despite losing this game for Penn State, you drop now down to five and three. They're two and three in the Big Ten. I, I feel like this was a a fairly encouraging loss uh, if, if you're a Penn State fan, and and ultimately no one wants to hear that. But I, I expected Ohio State to to make this one a little bit more embarrassing. Right. I, I think you know when we were sitting here last Thursday, I thought that Ohio State w- was in that prime position. You know, with that game being in prime time, to just go ahead and and really make their state make their statement, you know, kind of plant their flag as the class of the Big Ten East. And yeah, like Penn State had clearly been reeling. I mean, they they lost to Iowa. That was just kind of a tough one. Obviously, Clifford gets hurt in that game, and then he's clearly not 100 percent against Illinois. Um, but yeah, they, they ended up giving Ohio State a much tougher time that, than either of us anticipated, and, and easily uh, covering that spread. So I, I guess the way you view it moving forward, if you're Penn State, obviously your three losses, you know, kind of take the legs out for, for your season. But the run game hasn't been great pretty much all year. I mean, that this is this kind of reminds me, uh, I'll throw a name at you um, from my first year doing the, the Big Ten beat writing way back when in like 2014. But like this is like this reminds me of the Penn State Bill Belton type of backfield where, where they just really <laughs> could not generate anything. You didn't really understand why Penn state would have such a lackluster run game, but they just kind of did. And, and Kane was a, a big time recruit. So yeah, surprised to see him be as ineffective as he is. Maybe it starts with up front with that offensive line, but Penn state's recruited. Well, uh, what this means going forward though, is Clifford for him to have the performance he did on Saturday, I think it sets up well for this Penn State passing game the rest of the way. We, we've seen some like high volume, low efficiency games from them in the in the passing game uh, pretty much throughout the season. But I think this weekend against Maryland, and we'll talk about it more for DFS, but I think this really sets up nicely for like your Jahan Dotsons and your Parker Washingtons and, and even your Sean Clifford's uh, going up against Maryland this weekend. So I think the passing game should click the rest of the way for, for Penn State if Saturday's any indication. All right, give me like 25 seconds on Iowa-Wisconsin. This this Badgers team has been incredibly hard to figure out. They were favored yet again in this one. I, I didn't love the line. I, I thought this was going to be like the third or fourth time now that um, you know expectations have been placed on this team and, and they were going to come up short. But, I mean, back-to-back pretty impressive performances now by Wisconsin. I think this is now the, the signature win. Um, although, you know, Iowa has certainly had, had quite the fall over these last few weeks. So you, you kind of wonder like, you know, how, how much of a quality win even is this at this point, but Wisconsin finally starting to look a little bit more like the team that I think we thought we would get um, still didn't really run the ball all that well in this game. I mean, they almost 50 carries as a team and, and barely got over 150 yards. But like, as we talked about last week, Braylon Allen continues to look like the guy there uh, just passing the eye test so much more than anyone else on that roster. Like Ches Malusi carried the ball 19 times in that game and had no rushes longer than five yards. Like that, that is not Wisconsin football whatsoever. I think Braylon Allen is the better short yardage back and better big playback for this team. Um, and here we are yet again with Wisconsin somehow controlling its own destiny and somehow looking like it might limp all the way back to another big 10 title game to probably get beat and smacked around by Ohio state for like the 10th time in 10 years. It feels like, well, you know, you got to, got to look out for Minnesota now. <laughs> Min- I, I have no respect. I, I saw Minnesota resign PJ Fleck to a, to an extension this week. I'm like, thank God, keep doing that. I, I, I have no respect for that man. <laughs> and, and I mean, why would you? But but um, Ugh. you know, we we talked about la- last week going in that the the secret sauce for Iowa all year has been forcing turnovers. And my concern uh, going into this game for Wisconsin was, was that they were near the bottom 
in turnover margin and Iowa, of course, being near the top. But when you see, especially in, in a game that's going to be lower scoring, those turnovers can be all the more impactful. And for, and for Iowa to lose three fumbles in that one, that, that really did kind of shift the, the course of the game. And of course, Wisconsin's defense bowed up. I mean, you, you, you hold Iowa to just 156 yards. No one's going to beat you that way. Um, so I, I think it's a good win for Wisconsin. I, I think it, it says a lot for given the how down in the dumps the, the discourse was about Wisconsin, even just a few weeks ago, for them to kind of bounce back, um, knock Purdue, a ranked Purdue off, and then, and then go ahead, turn around and knock off Iowa. I, I think it, it speaks to some resiliency here because I, I think that the, the, what, what pulse I do have on the Badger fan base, but it was getting pretty, um, pretty slow down, slowed down there. So it's good to see Wisconsin bouncing back. And like you said, that they have, the path in front of them, provided that they take care of business the rest of the way, and, and on Thanksgiving weekend against Mich- or Minnesota, to you know at least make it back to Indianapolis, even if you you know what what's coming on the other side of that is probably not going to be pretty. All right, let's hit Michigan, Michigan State, then we'll get to some DFS breakdown for Week Ten. Yet again, John, Michigan finds itself like one win away from maybe not being fully back. I think they, they need to bank some more wins um, and, and, you know, do so consecutively uh, in, in multiple seasons to truly be back to like early 2000s, Mike Hart, um, you know, Leon Hall type of Michigan. But it, it feels like this is, you know, so many times they're like, all right, if they get this win, they're going to really be in position to do something. And over and over and over, they've come up short. And it, it happened yet again, you know, blowing a late lead to Michigan State. They did. And, and you know, some more special teams miscues against Michigan State coming back to bite you because um, it really did feel like Michigan was in control. And, the, and then we kind of had this this hectic hour um, leading up to the, the 3.30 Eastern kickoff. So I, I have the game on and I'm paying attention, but but I, I'm just sort of missing the, the big chunk plays or I'm just kind of like catching on at the very back end of Kenneth Walker running away from the entire Michigan defense. But yeah, M- Michigan comes in there. And we talked about it last week, Michigan State having a pass defense that's terrible, but Michigan having it clearly, or at least at the time, no faith in its passing game. And then they, they come out and they, they hit these big plays um, to, to these receivers who a lot of people hadn't really heard of. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but, but you know, like the freshman that was wearing number one, uh, his name's escaping me. He had a huge game. Michigan was doing what it wanted. They, they were in control of that game. And for Michigan State to kind of like, engineer this comeback on the strength of its ground game is impressive because that's usually not really the recipe for, for a comeback because obviously that, mm-hmm. that works clock against you, but, you know, credit to Michigan state. That's, that's a huge win for them and for Mel Tucker for however long he's going to be there. And yeah, I mean, you have to respect Michigan state now because I think it was fair to criticize Michigan state going into last week in the sense that, that yes, they, they'd passed the eye test to an extent, and really kind of like t- taken a lot of teams that are bad to, to the woodshed, like a good team would, but they hadn't really played anybody just yet. So for them to get that win o- over Michigan, I guess it's the second year in a row that, that they've done. So um, impressive stuff for, from them. Uh, obviously, I guess it's next weekend that they play Ohio state, that that will really be the, the biggest uh, of the tests here for for Michigan State but but regardless I mean that that's got to be one of the best wins that anyone has thus far this season yeah no question I I I had hoped that you know Michigan would would finally come through and and I think make things really interesting and set up what would be an incredibly you know fun 
uh, Michigan Ohio State game at the end of the year. But yeah, like you said, I mean, it's, it's actually not till week 12 uh, that we get Michigan State at Ohio State. Uh, that'll, that'll be on Saturday, November 20th. So kind of setting us up for uh, the ensuing Thanksgiving week. Uh, right now, that would be a number three uh, versus number five. So that one's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, but let's turn our attention to week 10. And, and like I said, we'll use uh, this weekend's DFS slate as as a guide to to talk about all these games. A little bit of a down weekend relative to last weekend, relative to some of the other um, you know weeks that have brought us you know big time, like top 10, top 15 matchups. Uh, but there are a lot of, I think, like singularly intriguing games. Um, we get Malik Willis going up against Ole Miss. I think this game has been circled for a lot of draft evaluators all year. Um, I don't know if I made this clear, John, but I am I am a thousand percent in on Malik Willis, like recklessly in on Malik Willis. Uh, you know that this is the least surprising thing that you yeah, could have told me, but I mean, it, it, it would have been strange and, and you know i would have like asked if it was really you on the other end of this phone call if if um <laughs> if you had sit, said like you know what i'm not sure about malik willis it's like james winston's body with michael vick's agility it's, it's quite the combo and yeah. especially with with yeah with all of that in mind and playing playing at liberty playing for hugh freeze and then yep. hugh freeze of course having his uh homecoming uh in oxford this sets up to be a really really fun game if you look at this by the numbers, Liberty, uh, you know, on paper, again, ha- has like one of the better defenses um, on this entire slate. But you have to just contextualize it in, in the sense that th- their schedule is about as poor as anyone has faced this year. Obviously, they, they, they have the loss to Louisiana Monroe and that that's really that really kind of knocked them. Hey, that's uh, a really the good Louisiana stage. Monroe team. All right. Watch it. But. That Louisiana Monroe team has a guy named Boogie Knight on it, so I, I will give you right. that. Yeah, I mean um, that's a market by favor. That's huge. That's huge. Um, however, you know, again, you look you look at Liberty giving up just 173 yards through the air, just 107 yards on the ground, holding teams to 6.3 YPA and and three yards a carry. That's impressive, but um, you know, I don't think that those are really applicable numbers when you're going on the road to an SEC opponent, especially a quality one like Ole Miss. Ole Miss is really banged up here, um, so that, that that is something to, to monitor here. But but Vegas is still giving uh, Ole Miss an implied total of 38. They're one of several teams on this slate, um, a 13-gamer that that has um, an implied total north of 35. So there's a lot of offenses to target in this one. I'm not sure if I'm going after Matt Corral th- this week. I think that he's just he's kind of like the the poster boy of, of these banged up Ole Miss guys and. There's so many banged up pass catchers um, that they have as well. So one guy that I've been considering uh, if I want to get some exposure to the Ole Miss pass game is a guy who did well last week, uh, Jacor Pearson. He checks in at 4,900, um, had, had a big game a week ago um, against Auburn, just 4,900. I, I think that there's just because there are so many injuries here for Ole Miss that he still has that path to a plenty of targets in the slot and where he'll be running from, he'll present that easy target right off the bat. Um, so you won't have to wait a long time for those plays to develop and, and, you know, Corral can get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker. So I'll do a little bit more digging and see if there's any more value to unearth from these kind of lesser known Ole Miss pass catchers. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think, I think Pearson is definitely a nice like sub 5k option um, when, when you're wanting to, to target this Ole Miss uh, Liberty game. And I, I don't, I think I'll do one Malik Willis lineup just kind of out of morbid curiosity, but 
it, you know, we've seen Liberty on slates before. They don't really have a skill guy that that's like a stud. It's interesting to see because, you know, Willis is, is continuing to put up some of the best fantasy numbers week in, week out, but it, it is kind of a no-name cast uh, surrounding him. So I, I don't know if, how much exposure I'll get to like your DJ Stubbses of the world. So what games overall are we looking to target here? Wake UNC has 76 and a half over under. Um, I mean, that, that Ole Miss Liberty game is up there, 66 and a half. Memphis as, as SMU uh, has, has a big over under as well. Um, where are you looking there? And, and then we could kind of roll that into, you know, which quarterbacks you're looking to target. Yeah, so I think, yeah, the, this slate does kind of center around the, the Wake Forest, North Carolina game. Um, you have two of the best quarterbacks in the ACC right now in Sam Howell and, and, of course, Sam Hartman, who's just like playing at a totally different level right now. It's crazy. And, you know, Wake Forest undefeated to this point. Uh, Sam, Sam Howell, I think, accounting for like 11 total touchdowns o- over the last two weeks, uh, just blistering stuff from him. So the, the question is, like, can you build a lineup that you like that stacks this game properly? Um, do, do you sink almost 20k of of your 50k salary cap into going Sam Howell and Sam Hartman. I think there is a way to do that. But I, I think the problem is you you can only get one of the premier pass catchers from from either offense or even just both both of these offenses. You can probably only get one of them. And Josh Downs um is, is the number one option. I think he's a top priced receiver this week, uh checking in at 8700. Uh, it's you know, that's tough, especially when you, you can drop down 1,500 and get A.T. Perry, the the number two receiver for, for Wake Forest, who's been doing extremely well. Ja'Cory Robertson um, at, at 8K as well, another alluring option. But again, you'll, you'll just have to find a way to, to hunt for value um, at, at the rest of your positions. But but I think there is a path to doing a Hartman-Howell lineup that, that you can end up, you know, liking. And I, I think Pearson, um, you know, from that Ole Miss Liberty game, I, I think is a way to do it because you know, you're looking for for a couple of viable plays um, under that 6K or even that, under that 5K um, price tag. And then uh, one uh, kind of lower level guy for, from UNC's passing game that, that I'm going to at least consider is Antoine Green. He's just 4,300. Um, he had a big game against uh, Notre Dame a week ago. Um, I think that, that that's a decent way to, to get um, a little bit of exposure to UNC and, and to stack um, the, this UNC passing game just a little bit more. Um, so Green, Antoine Green, again, 4,300 on, on DraftKings is um, is kind of like that value guy at, at North Carolina, at least from what I can see. What are we thinking at the running back position? You got Kenneth Walker, who is very much in the Heisman conversation at this point. Um, I, I think, you know, the big game that he had against Michigan, obviously the signature game for him. Um, dating all the way back to week one, you know, when he, when he burst out with what, 260 and, and four touchdowns against Northwestern. Um, he's at 8,600 on this slate. Michigan State is at Purdue. Uh, you got Jerome Ford at Cincinnati going up against Tulsa. He's at 8,300. Travian Henderson, 7,900 against that Nebraska defense. Uh, where are you looking at the top of the slate at the running back position? Uh, I want, I will get to the, those running backs in just a second. I, I, uh, I kind of left you hanging there. Uh, a couple other quarterbacks to consider. Sean Clifford, again, 6K, um, going up against Maryland. Uh, Gary Bohannon, uh, 7,700, going against TCU. Uh, I think TCU is totally falling apart right now. Uh, obviously, like for a guy like Gary Patterson to, to get fired, that, that says a lot. I mean, he's built that program basically from the ground up. Um, and then 
uh, as you alluded to, that that Memphis SMU game is going to have a lot of interest. Um, I can't quite get behind uh, the, the Memphis passing game uh, right now just because uh, we, we got a banged up quarterback situation um, with, with Memphis's quarterback. So you do kind of have some concerns there. But I do like Tanner Mordecai at um, at 9,000 uh, checking in, in in this one because, yeah, like I said, Seth Hennigan uh, banged up with, with a hand injury. That's obviously tricky for a quarterback. But I, I do think that SMU's passing game uh, particularly does well. But but as far as running back is concerned, um, before we get into the premier guys, it, and again, this isn't just through red and black glasses, but anytime Missouri's been on a slate this year, you've had to look at the opposing running backs. And this week, Missouri goes to Athens. Um, you see Zamir White checking in at 7,100. He did well a week ago, but I, I would imagine that Georgia, um, given that they're 38 and a half point favorites in this one, they probably don't feel the need to use him too, too much. Um, Kendall Milton's still banged up. So I like the the pairing uh, of James Cook and even a Kenny McIntosh. I know McIntosh didn't get a lot of run last week, but he's 3,900. I think he's the guy that Georgia leans on in the, in the second half um, to just kind of run the run the clock out. So I do like that pairing for, from the UGA backfield. But looking elsewhere at, at running back, I mean, Kenneth Walker is the, the engine of the uh, Michigan State offense, even if Michigan State has a pretty healthy passing game for, for their own right. But um, do you like Walker at 8,600? It's just a, you know, you will kind of have to sacrifice um, the idea of going for one of those high-priced quarterbacks. I think there's enough value at running back this week to where I won't have a ton of Kenneth Walker or even Jerome Ford. Uh, Travion Henderson, I, I would be interested in, and, and uh, Kyron Williams as well going up against Navy at 7,700. That That's pretty interesting, but I like Abram Smith. His price didn't jump too much after a good game last week against Texas. He's 7,300. Um, converted linebacker, and he, he really runs like it. They were talking about that um, a lot on the Baylor broadcast a week ago. But Minnesota, uh, I'm interested in their backfield pairing because um, we, we saw another, just another season-ending injury to, to a Minnesota running back. I don't know what's going on with, with them, but Bryce Williams uh, going down. So that sets things up for, for uh, Marquise Irving at 6,300. Um, and then at, at uh, 5,000, uh, Kai Thomas. You do have to bake in the fact that they were able to run all over maybe the worst run defense in the country in Northwestern a week ago. So take it for a grain of salt. But I think Minnesota still is a run first team. They are at home and Illinois doesn't have a particularly strong run defense for their in their own right. So um, keep that in mind as far as uh, attacking that Minnesota backfield is concerned. Um, And then Brandon Thomas. Touching on that Memphis uh, SMU game again, he didn't have a lot of carries last time out. They, they've had the bye to, to maybe get healthy here a little bit. And if um, if the quarter, if Hennigan is still dinged up, you you kind of figure that that Thomas and the Memphis run game gets a little bit more heavily featured here. And, you know, that, that'd be a good strategy for Memphis to just kind of keep that SMU offense off the off the field as much as it can. So Brandon Thomas, another guy to consider at 62. Yeah, I like that call with the Minnesota backfield, uh, Kai Thomas back-to-back 100-yard games. But something just rubs me wrong about, about you know, you recommending two Minnesota running backs who are not named Marion Barber and Lawrence Baroni. Yeah, I mean, it, I felt wrong saying it. Um, you know, it, it, this even goes back to um, who, was their, who was their great running back from a few years ago? I had like a cup of coffee with the um, – it was David something. Uh, David Cobb? 
David Cobb. David yeah. Cobb. Yeah, that that guy was just like a classic, another Big Ten running back uh, yeah. out there. Um, but uh, those days are behind us now, unfortunately. And, you know, that again, they've had just so much attrition there yeah. uh, with, with Mo Ibrahim go, going down and Trey Potts. Um, and now Bryce Williams has been yeah. a, a bummer as far as that backfield goes. And, uh, you know, I wonder if Marion Bar- Marion the Barbarian has any eligibility left. <laughs> I, I wonder that as well, as long as he's not playing in that game against Wisconsin uh, at the end of the Big Ten calendar. All right, let's look at receiver. Josh Downs, highest priced player on the board. He's at 8,700. Uh, UNC goes up against top 10 team in Wake Forest. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who's been as consistent as Downs. He, he did have his seven game touchdown streak snapped against Notre Dame, but still had 10 catches on 12 targets, 142 yards in that game. He's been up over, what, 21 DraftKings points in seven of eight games. So far, his worst game of the year was eight catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I mean, he's been ridiculously consistent for UNC, but a lot of good options at the top. We we saw David Bell somewhat bounce back uh, after a really down game against that number one ranked Wisconsin defense Uh, in terms of yards allowed, not in terms of scoring. I don't know what team leads the league in scoring defense. It's a mystery. Yeah, who knows? Uh, Could be anybody. Um, You can always pick between or maybe go with both uh, of the Ohio State guys, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. So where are you looking at the top of the board at receiver? Yeah, Downs is definitely really interesting. I think that if I do picking from from that trio of either Downs, uh, Ja'Cory Roberson, or, or At Perry, if I end up go, going with Down, or I think I will try to get at least one lineup with Downs. I mean, the, the guy just has such consistent target volume. He's really the only guy that Sam Howell has consistently trusted over the course of this season. Back to back double digit reception games. Uh, that's obviously huge for for DraftKings where there's PPR scoring. So I, I don't have an argument against using downs that this week. It, and I think that this game will live up to that uh, high scoring um, billing that that it's getting. You know, the the total kind of dwarfing anything else that, that's on the slate. I mean, it's it's almost a full touchdown clear of anything else as far as the total is concerned. So you do figure that the downs is going to have a, another huge game. It's just can can you find that value elsewhere? Um, I always have a hard time. I, I always pick wrong, whether it's Olave or Wilson. It's, it's you know, the, the bane of my DFS existence this year whenever Ohio State's been on a slate. Um, but, you know, I, I think both of those guys have the green light and both of them kind of have have those decreased price tags, at least relative to what we've seen at other points of the season. I like Jahan Dotson. I, I know I was talking about Penn State's passing game earlier, and I, I think that there's just enough other like kind of alluring names there, wh- whether it is. Corey Roberson, whether it is Josh Downs, uh, Calvin Austin, a, a good option, of course, one of the more consistent producers in college football this year, but I'm off that Memphis passing game for this week. Um, so I'll pass on him. But Dotson has has seen kind of like Josh Downs level target volume. It's just the efficiency hasn't been there, but I think the efficiency spikes back up this week against Maryland. And I think Parker Washington down at 5K um, is another way to, to get a piece of that Penn State passing game. Um, I feel like the SMU receivers are also pretty cheap this week, um, whether it's Reggie Roberson or Rasheed Rice. I like both those guys a lot. Both of those guys priced down under 6K. So if, if you do think that SMU holds up its end of the bargain um, as far as uh, putting points on the board, especially through the air against Memphis, which, I, again, I think that they will, um, then you definitely have to consider those two guys. And I, I think that it's it's very easy to to stack Tanner Mordecai, along with, with Rasheed Rice and Reggie Roberson, both. Um, and then going back up, 
Um, I do like David Bell at 7,400. Um, saw a lot of targets last week. I think he had a season high in targets. I think that he he's also um, someone that can take advantage of, of the aforementioned um, poor uh, Michigan State pass defense. So I definitely like him a fair bit this week. And then if you want to go way down the board, look at those Georgia guys. Um, if Georgia treats this one like they kind of want to test some things out in its passing game, then I think we could see potentially a bounce back from Brock Bowers. He's still priced up a little bit, but um, I, I think that he could get going a little bit. Uh, Jermaine Burton is another guy. He played 10 snaps last week, didn't really do anything on those 10 snaps, but you know this is a totally different story against, um, against Missouri. So I do kind of wonder, I think a lot of the conventional wisdom is going to use the, the UGA run game. But for, from what I've heard for around UGA parts, uh, I think that there's a chance that, that they try to, at least in the first half of the game, uh, try to get that passing game going, get a little bit of mojo going into that Tennessee game uh, coming up the following Saturday. So uh, Georgia has plenty of cheap options. Darnell Washington, 3,900. LeBron James-sized individual. Uh, that's going to be hard for, for Missouri to contend with um, as well. And then I, I mentioned Jacor Pearson. Earlier on, um, from almost 4,900, I like him too. All right, fantastic breakdown, as always, brother. Um, Thank you, sir. Let, let's take a more, you know, zoom out a little bit, a, a more holistic approach to to look at at Week 10. Uh, what other games that we maybe haven't hit on uh, have piqued your interest and will be catching your eye on Saturday? Um, so it's it's not on on this slate, but um, the the Tennessee Kentucky game I think is really interesting to to kind of establish who, who the second best team in the East is uh, I think one of the more kind of surprising under the radar results last week and and one that kind of helped springboard Miss State's ranking that this past week is Kentucky falling to to, to Mike Leach and the noted candy corn haters at, uh, in Starkville um, so Tennessee I like the money line on them I, I think they they might be playing a little bit better brand of ball right now than Kentucky is in Kentucky. They kind of live on, on the margins in the sense that um, if things don't go exactly according to their game plan, like they, they kind of only have one way to beat you. I think Tennessee can beat you in a couple different ways. Um, so I do like that one. That That's a pick them at some spots. Um, but, but in other places it's Kentucky favored by like a point. Um, so I'm, color me interested in, uh, in Tennessee this weekend. Okay, I like it. Uh, let's let's take a look at the CFP rankings, by the way, which came out earlier this week. Uh, Georgia one, Alabama two, Michigan State uh, three, Oregon four, Ohio State, Cincinnati. Uh, we touched on on the Cincinnati situation, um, but I, I know you threw a, thought, a lot of thoughts out there on Twitter uh, as these were were released. Overall thoughts: Are, are you okay with with a one loss team in Alabama um, sitting there at number two, kind of positioning itself? Um, to, to potentially even sneak into this with a second loss to Georgia, if that were to come to fruition. Um, still so much, like like you said, I, I mean, I, I think every year, and there's a reason that they release these, like I, I think they want the overreactions, but every year, you know, you jump to conclusions that even as, as recent as a week or two later, you know, end up, you know, not really mattering. Um, obviously, there's, there's still a long way to go, but anything other than Cincinnati, you know, not making that top four really jump out to you? Yeah, I guess, you know, seeing a, a one-loss team in the first set of rankings be the number two team uh, is a little bit surprising at first glance, but, you know, it is Alabama. If anyone's earned that benefit of the doubt, it's them. My, my pushback is that, you know, what what really is their best win so far? And, and also, you know, if, you, if you're going eye test, 
Has Bama really passed the eye test that this year the way it has in other years, um, you know, basically since uh, Jalen Hurts took over in 2016? I wouldn't say so, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I do feel like that, you know, Bama is going to end the regular season with, with just one loss. And, you know, you can't really quibble too much with it. It is Alabama. And I would like Alabama to beat Michigan State straight up, Oregon straight up, um, yeah. and probably Ohio State straight up. So, that's fair. Uh, I thought the committee got it right in putting Michigan State in the top four. I think that that, that win last weekend, being an 8-0 undefeated team at this stage of the year in the, in the Big Ten, earns you that that um, playoff spot. We'll see if they can hold on to it. Um, and they also got it right in in putting Oregon ahead of Ohio State. It shows that that, um, that win for Oregon and Columbus does mean something. Um, so even though Oregon has, has done a lot to kind of give back the the uh, public favor that it earned uh, in that week two victory. I, I still think that Oregon mm-hmm. still deserving, even, even though that, that lost to Stanford really, really stinky. And then I guess the other kind of statements that, that the committee made, and I'd like to get your thoughts on, on this too. Um, Oklahoma being eight uh, and uh, Wake Forest being nine. I feel like Oklahoma that, that seems like a little bit of an empty gesture, like a little bit of like an empty challenge from, from the committee in the sense that like, okay, this is our first set of rankings. We're going to put you down there. Like shame on you for not destroying Kansas. Right. But at the end of the day, an undefeated Oklahoma team that, that wins the big 12 championship is not being left out of the playoff. Like it, it's just, yep. you know, it, I'm sure Oklahoma fans have already thought this all the, all the way through, but it, there shouldn't be any sort of like visceral, like I can't believe this t- type of right. reaction because it, as it stands, it does kind of make sense to to have the top six teams ahead of them. And Michigan's played a, a tougher schedule and on balance probably looked a little bit more impressive than, than Oklahoma. So it's all right. I, I think that this, what Oklahoma's rankings, they only have up to go from here, provided that they don't blow it. And uh, I don't think mm-hmm. that they will at this stage. I've changed my tune on them. Yeah, I, I think that's the other thing that really stands out outside of Cincinnati and outside of Alabama is seeing a 9-0 and Oklahoma team that you know has plenty of playoff experience. It's not like they've ever had issues getting in, um, being all the way down at eight. And especially, I think it's not necessarily that they're ranked eighth. It's that they're ranked right behind Michigan, which just lost, you know, two days prior. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it was kind of a like proverbial slap in the face to to Oklahoma, um, you know, for not maybe taking care of business and, and not passing the eye test to the degree that it should have, especially early on. But like you said, I mean, Oklahoma is going to have plenty of opportunities over these next few weeks. You know, they have Baylor coming up. You got Iowa State. You have Oklahoma State. They're, they're going to have two ranked teams on their schedule to, to to try to bankroll a couple of those wins. And you know, even if those teams that they're counting on for quality wins in Baylor and Oklahoma State, even if those teams were to falter before those games, like at the end of the day, I, I don't think you're keeping an undefeated Oklahoma out of the playoff. You know, I, I don't think it's necessarily Oklahoma's fault that like the Texas win doesn't really look like much in hindsight. Um, and, you know, Nebraska, not that anybody thought they were going to be great, but they've probably been even worse than some people thought, you know, like they're not, they're, they're still playing a power five schedule. And even though it, it hasn't looked all that impressive, um, I, I think I'm fine with them being eight right now, but inevitably they're going to work their way up. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the November schedule that they have, um, I believe they're on by this week, but, but yeah, ending it out with, with, you know, what kind of turned into be the, the next three best teams in, in the conference, um, is a really good proving ground for Oklahoma. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll really get to get a feel for what they actually are here, by by the end of the month, 
Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's fair to put them there. And then uh, uh, the committee just showed it uh, what it really thinks about the ACC this year as right. well with with an undefeated Wake Forest checking in at, at nine. Yeah, yeah, that that, uh, that that says a lot right there. Um, I, I, back to your Alabama point real quickly. I, I don't know how I feel about them being being two. It's like at the end of the day, I, I still think they're probably the second best team. And it, it's one of those situations where like, I mean, you're a Georgia fan. Like if you're Georgia, would you rather, if, if it's like a one game, you know, let's say it's a national championship game, who would you rather play Alabama or Michigan state, Alabama or Oregon, Alabama or Cincinnati? It's like, you'd rather play any other team, but Alabama, yep. even, even if it feels like Alabama's underachieving by their standards, like to me, it's a, it's almost like a less severe version of what's going on with the Kansas city chiefs right now, where like, there's a reason that they're not like, even, even though they played terrible for what, like four out of five weeks at this point, like they're still going to be favorites. You know, they're still like, they still opened as favorites against the Packers, even when the Packers look like they were going to be healthy. Like there's still this kind of unspoken, like they can get it back at any point uh, type, type of belief. Um, and obviously Alabama has not hit the skids to the degree that the chiefs have, but I, I think there is something with Alabama where they're, they've just, they've built up so much clout over the last decade that they're always going to get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a hundred percent. So, so in the end, would would it look better aesthetically to have a undefeated team at, at two and then right. Bama at three? Like, yes, but but at the end of the day, like the the question you asked is the one that matters, which is you know who would you rather play, Alabama or, or anyone else uh, outside of Georgia? And the answer is always anyone else. So yes. yeah, th- this is still a Bama team that that um, I think is. You know, they're coming off the bye this week. They're four touchdown favorites against LSU. I think that they're going to just kind of bury LSU this week and, and just kind of start rolling. What I will say, though, and, and that, you know, we, we can kind of end it on, on this one. But this Auburn game coming up for them at the end of the season, and it's in Auburn, it's on the Plains. I'm, I wouldn't be completely shocked if Auburn won that game. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, I mean, two years ago it happened, and and uh, you know, obviously that was that was a post Tua injury, so so Mac Jones wasn't fully formed yet. But um, you know, I I think that that could happen. But again, the only way that 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 truly matters, as far as who plays in the SEC championship game, is and this is probably the game of the weekend, in my opinion. A and M and Auburn. What I mean, uh, have you looked into this one at all? Do you have any thoughts on, on kind of how Auburn's been playing? And then A and M, you know, they're coming off the bye, so they've been kind of laying low um, for the. And they played after Alabama. They had like South Carolina and Missouri, so they haven't really had a chance to like capitalize on the spotlight that was put on them. Right. I, Auburn's been one of the most difficult teams, I think, to get a read on. Um, and you know, I I it, I don't really have a great lean on this one specifically. I mean, it, it's A and M minus four and a half. Uh, playing this one at college station uh, over under for the record 49 and a half. So I, it, it should be a really good game. I don't, I don't think any result would really surprise me. I mean, we've seen Auburn take down a pair of ranked teams in the last two weeks uh, after, after getting kind of pushed around by Georgia a few weeks ago. Um, you know, they had that loss to Penn state early on. I thought they actually played pretty well. That's when we thought a lot higher, I think of Penn state uh, yeah. at that point. Um, but I mean, Texas A&M has the best win in the country right now, beating Alabama, right? I mean, nobody's beat Georgia. So the best win in the country belongs to A&M. Um, and, and even though it maybe seems a, a little bit fluky uh, with how that game ended, um, they still got it done. And, you know, they've, they put up, what, 79 points over their last two games uh, against Missouri and South Carolina. So they, they've certainly passed the eye test, at least on offense. Yeah, they, they have. They obviously quarterback is an issue for, for A&M. 
Yeah. But at the same time, like they, they kind of have the skill guys to to smooth that over and they have a, a hell of a defense as well as we saw in that in that Alabama game. So um, even with that, that defense in mind, though, I do like the over um, at, at 49 in, in that game. And then uh, I, I think Auburn could, could go ahead and win that one. Um, but I, I think I'm more comfortable in, in betting the, the total there, but very, very excited for that game. Uh, and then just like a, a couple other bets I like for this weekend, Michigan State minus three at Purdue. I like North Carolina to, to knock off Wake Forest. Um, so that so UNC minus two and a half. I like your Badgers minus yeah. 12 um, oh, yeah. go, going going on to the banks and playing Rutgers. I, I do like the way that Wisconsin's playing. And I, I don't know if Rutgers has much left at this stage. And then one other one. Kind of gross, but people have people have got have fallen so far off of the scent of Florida State. They really gave Clemson a good game last week. That doesn't really mean a lot. I don't even know what that year. means anymore. But it, you know, it's it's something, I guess. Yeah. And then uh so them, I think they're they're slight home underdogs to North Carolina State. So you're getting plus money on, on the money line. I would take the Florida State money line. Yeah, NC State, uh minus two and a half on uh, the total in that one, fifty-six. Uh, So it should be a really fun one. All right, man. Looking forward to another great week in college football. I will chat with you again this time next week. Beautiful. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.